0: Welcome to the Impactful Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Clark. For the last decade, I've had the privilege of learning from impactful leaders across the globe through my service in the Peace Corps and nonprofits. Their leadership has inspired me to highlight those among us who are truly impacting our world so that we may learn from them and be more impactful together. Yes, leadership can be learned. The guests on our show are providing direction, inspiration, and leading the way in their business and community through service. Are you ready to have an impact? Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast.
1: Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me today. I am a leadership coach. I'm a self-proclaimed leadership coach. I'm an ops guru by nature. And I'll start with my Hollywood hero story, if you will. And I like to share it because I can envision other people being in my shoes. And I was a manager and I was loved by the C-suite because I could hit all the numbers. I created a lot of profits for them. I did their processes. I could improve their processes. I could do all these crazy things. And it was fun. I was making bonuses. Our you know, l was great. But I started talking with my team and my team wasn't having as much fun as I was. And that's when I kind of said, wait a second, there's got to be a better way to do this. So through some self-discovery, self-awareness, I was a jerk, if you will. So my hero story is I said, hey, self-awareness, I've got to go out and I've got to fix this. How can I make my team happy? And that's when I discovered leadership and really dove into what's the difference between management and leadership. I went and got a master's of science in leadership and change. And I started taking those practices. And what I learned really quickly is it wasn't about the P's I mentioned earlier. It wasn't about profits. It wasn't about processes. It wasn't about products. It wasn't about my plans. It was about people. And you have to put people first. So one of my number one non-negotiables for leadership is people come first. And then my number two non-negotiable is you have to build trust in other people, and that's basically how I've started building my um, building my dignity leadership consulting is working off those two principles: one, we got to build trust, and two, we got to put people first.
0: And I guess, kind of like a very high-level question, how do you how do you work on building that trust with people? So it's It's it's,
1: it's very, (laughs) it's very complicated. And, and to be honest with you, that's a real story in my life. I was, I, when I, before I discovered what leadership really was, I was running a business unit and an all employee survey came out and it was right after I'd taken over. I had been in the seat, maybe three months, this employee survey comes out and we get the results back. And it says that there was lack of trust in the organization. I had to ask myself that real question. How do you build trust? What is trust? And everybody takes it for granted, right? And you think that trust is made or broken over some big event. Um, what I discovered and doing some research on trust is that trust is actually, it's reciprocal. It's made and broke over a t- um, over time with a lot of small events. And it's I compare it to like maybe a checking account or a savings account. Mm-hmm. Um, You can't start either one of them without making a deposit. You can't start building trust with somebody else without making a deposit into their trust account. So every day we got to go along. And as a leader, you've got to add to your trust account with other people. You got to continue to show them that you have faith in them and that you trust them. And in return, they're going to give you trust back. Now, one thing I've discovered uh, on the catch side is let's say maybe you, You do something that's not, that makes somebody feel miserable. And so you're taking away a little bit of trust from them. The problem is, is you're not in control of what that withdrawal is. They Mm -hmm. are, they can take away as much as they want. And then you got to go back through that rebuilding process. So that's kind of how I look at it from, you know, from a trusting is it's, it's reciprocal. You've got to give it in order to get it.
0: I really like that. The way you just explained that. Because I, I mean, it's so simple, but it's one of those things where it's difficult I, that's a very easy way. In well, terms of just visual. Yeah. You know, and if there's other
1: people out there listening and they're going, well, wow, that's, yeah, trust is super easy. But let's, let's take this into a deeper context. Let's take it into, let's take it into a production context. Let's say it's manufacturing or anything like that, where you got to produce things. So let's take manufacturing, for example, and what happens when employees show up at work every day? They got to clock in, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, then they clock in and then they've got all, this, all these pieces or parts or tools or whatever it is to work on the production line. Where are those parts and pieces and supplies kept? Locked up away from everybody. So right there before you ever start the day, you've already taken away trust by two things. Number one says, I don't trust you to show up on time. So I need you to clock in. And then number two is I don't trust you with my tools and my stuff only when you're working. So I'm going to lock it up. So management, industrial revolution thought processes has already taught people to not be trustworthy. So here we are, you know, when I get this survey back and I was in, I was in the automotive sector and they're like, Hey, you lack trucking trust in your organization. Well, yeah, everything's locked up. Everybody's got a clock in. Nobody can use the phone. They have to clock out to go to the bathroom. No wonder there's no trust here because Mm -hmm. the whole system, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't a person per se that had broke the trust, but the whole system as a whole had destroyed yeah. trust. And it's frustrating, but that's the world we live in.
0: And then how do you, and I guess one of the other things is, so even imagine if, I'm trying to think of an organization, like imagine if it's a digital agency, like I didn't have to, when I was working at another location, we didn't have to clock in and all that, but there was still distrust between at least in my perception between one of the CEOs and the rest of the employees, like people were able to come in, they got some longer lunches, pretty flexible work schedules, but it was once he started coming on the floor and actually like meeting with people and spending time with people, then he was built, he was, you know, we were able to take, put some trust into his account, but what are some examples or ways that people specifically leaders, that when they have a growing organization, that they can make sure that they're building that trust with people. Because I can imagine if you're in that production company, in that car auto place, I can say, my tools aren't locked up. You're not clocking in. Oh, they must trust me. Like, you just assume that it's there.
1: So there's a couple of things that I would say that I've done Uh and through some research on how to build trust. So number one is you have to go out and you got to talk to people. And then after, after you talk to them, you know, ask them a question, you have to listen and you have to actively listen. You actually have to, I'm just going to say, you got to shut up. And what that's going to do is it's going to open up the feedback loop and then people as you build up trust, people are gonna start to communicate with you better. And if they understand that you're listening and you show them that you care about what they're saying, you start taking that feedback and then you start implementing it into what's going on into their daily routine. Um, Do they have an idea on how to make the production line go faster? Do they have an idea on how to make a product better? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, they've got ideas. They're the experts. They're the ones doing the work every day. So if we just take that feedback and listen, and then implement it, we're going to show them that what they're saying to us is important. Now, the key component of that feedback loop is, is usually what happens when somebody gives us feedback is we take it as a personal attack. Our brain goes into uh fight or flight syndrome because we think that they are, and that's what humans do by nature is we think that, Hey, they're attacking me. They don't like my idea. They don't like this. They don't like that. So you've got to have that self-awareness to understand that, Hey, I just asked this person some information. Now I've got to listen to it. Um, and then part of that whole trust process is putting, you know, putting your words into action. So if you're asking for that information, you have to listen to it and then you have to use it because if you just flat out ignore it, there's nothing worse than going and asking somebody for their opinion and then not even using it. We're not asking <laughs> them, you know, we're not asking people to say, Hey, and no. then I've had, to, I've had this happen. Where a boss will say, Hey, tell me about this new process. Well, what they're really saying is, Tell me what's really great about what I just did. And that's a totally different conversation. Um, And if somebody does ask you, say, Hey, tell me about this new process, and they don't give you a, a glowing review on your new process, well, they're giving you feedback on how to make it better. Take that information. It's not a personal attack. They're just trying to help you. And that's where that trust thing comes in because you've asked them, you've shown them trust. Now they're giving their trust back to you. Because they're giving you that feedback.
0: Yeah, I'm laughing partly because I've seen it. I've, to be honest, I've done it. Like I'm thinking <laughs> back to sometimes where I've done it. And I'm like, oh shit. Um, but I've seen it. You know, I've seen it happen with other people too. So, well,
1: um, we we all do it. It's human nature. We get, yeah yeah. We, you know it's it's protection. It goes back to our ancestry and you know through evolution we were yeah. set up to protect ourselves.
0: But I like how you worded it. And then I, I guess like the other way to word it is you're giving ownership to someone. Like if you, you're listening, you're taking it. And then you're putting that into action. You're essentially like probably going to give them ownership of it, then giving trust back to them. And then the cycle continues.
1: Yep, exactly. You got to build up, you got to build up that cycle. And as you continue to do it and you continue to listen to them, um, You're going to build up that trust. And, you know, when I was working on my master's program, I was building my thesis around what's the difference between management and leadership. And I interviewed a lot of different people, interviewed people, you know, frontline people, C-suite people and everywhere in between those two spectrums. Mm -hmm. And I asked them five questions. You know, I, I had this predetermined. And so I'd go through those five questions. I said, you know what? I'm really sorry. I got to ask you a six question. I said, I was only going to have five, but I got a six. What's one thing we haven't talked about today or that I've asked you about that you'd like to share with me? And I intentionally left out listening. Every single one of them said, I wish my boss, I wish my manager would listen more. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them. So it just goes to show you the power that listening has. And then I have a really good friend that taught me one day that if you take the letters silent, that
0: mm-hmm. spell
1: silent and you rearrange them, it spells listen. You can't listen if you're not silent.
0: I like that. So I'm just writing it down. Um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, you also work with people that are kind of the employees that are, you were hired by the, the leaders or the, the employees, the managers, whatever, and then you're working with some of the people underneath, right?
1: Yeah, I do some of both. My specialty is, is really working with managers um, because I was that person. So I was a high mm-hmm. production person that got thrown into management because I could do all the P's that I talked about earlier. I could follow the plans. I could follow the process. I could increase the profits. I could do the production, all those things. Well. That's really the Peter principle, right? So if you take your highest performer, your best performer, and you say, well, guess what? Now you're the manager. Those same skills that made you the highest performer are not the same skills that are going to get you through leading a team. And if you go from that spot of being a peer or a member on a team to now leading the team, it's a completely different dynamic. And if you're not careful, um, you're really going to alienate all the people you were just working with, especially if you think that your way is the best way okay, you had a way to be highly productive. That doesn't mean everybody else in your team saw it the same way. So Mm -hmm. you really got to change your mindset once you move into that management role. The other piece of information I found is, and I've seen reports anywhere from 60% to as high as 90%, um, depending on who's doing the research, is that managers that get, or these people that get promoted into these management roles have never had any type of leadership training whatsoever. They're just thrown into the job and expected to perform
0: what's the biggest thing that you see that's in common between all of them that they all struggle with?
1: They all think what got them there is what's going to keep them going forward. Yeah, It's that aha moment. It's the pinnacle. It's like, wait a second. Um, And it happened to me. It's like, dang, I was crushing the numbers and doing all these things and then they promote me and they keep moving me up and then all of a sudden it's like wait a second I've just I've slowly progressed becoming the biggest jerk on earth and nobody my team I mean my team respected me um don't get me wrong I was a nice guy um I still am a nice guy I think but that doesn't mean I wasn't bad at leading And I was bad at leading because I was trying to manage everybody. And that's a huge difference. You know, management, management is about things. Leadership is about people. You manage inventory, you manage processes, you lead people.
0: And then once it keeps growing, is it, is it as simple as you just have to keep building that trust and moving people forward? Like once you go from that, the 20 to the 50, and then you make that jump to the hundred, is it really just building that trust and listening or is there, does it switch ever so slightly the bigger you get, you really have to make sure that you're employing those, those managers. Cause the bigger you get, I think we spoke about on the last call. As the organization, organization, organization gets larger. You have the tendency to develop like this institution thought process. And then all of the inspiration, the spirit, the spark that was in there to begin with just all of a sudden starts dampening and it goes away. You know, like, how do you see that happening? And is the easiest way, just, just keep listening, keep building trust. <laughs>
1: uh, absolutely. As, as organizations get bigger, the structure gets more and more rigid. Mm-hmm. And hierarchical structures are not conducive to leadership. They just never have been because they've got all this, you know, this top down approach. And everybody at the top thinks they got all the right things and they get, they get too disconnected. And one of the things that I identified early on when I started building my practices, I don't want to go after the big whales. I don't want to be working with the largest organizations in the world. My specialty is smaller um, family owned or privately owned organizations where we still have this chance to get in and work with people where they can have these people first Um, skills and put them into work and make those things happen. But but yeah, it does. I mean, you have to practice every day. So, my personal motto is to learn to grow, to lead, and then create a world of dignity. Mm -hmm. So, as a leader, every single day you've got to be learning. So, as anything's change or grow or what happened, you got to keep learning. And then as you learn, you're gonna go out and you're gonna practice what you've learned because that's that's how you build learning. And then you're probably going to make mistakes. Things aren't always going to go well. Well, that's how you grow. So then you learn, you grow. And then as you're growing, you go back because learning, because it's kind of vicious, right? So you got this learning and growing loop (laughs) going. And then when you start getting really good, then you can start bringing in that next piece and that's leadership. And then once you get into leadership, then you start going through all three of those pieces and it's just an evolution. And I always compare this to, um, let's say a world-class athlete or an Olympic athlete. Um, every single one of them has a coach to get better and they practice their craft over and over and over again until they get through. And there's some days they have to change up what their routines are in order to break barriers, whether it's how far they can run or how fast they can run, how long, you know how high can they jump? How far can they jump? All these different things. They can't keep yeah. doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result because that's the definition of insanity. Leadership is the same thing. So you've got to continue to work with people and understand, and we're going to make mistakes. And everybody's always different, even though I work with assessments and that's kind of like my baseline. So I would give you an assessment and find out, you know, what are your motivators? What are your behavioral styles? You still have every Every behavior in your body, and you still have all the motivators in your body. Just because I did an assessment and said, This is what you usually like or prefer, doesn't mean that's always the way you're going to act. So there's going to be days when I even have those tools and you do something that's out of maybe out of character for you or out of character for what I've examined. But I have to have that learning process, which is like, okay, wait a second, let's step back, let's re examine what went right, what went wrong, and what we need to do to grow to become better. So long answer on that. But yes, it's just a continuous practice of leadership every single day.
0: No, and I love the example of the coach too, because at the end of the day, I mean, everyone needs one. And that's kind of like the biggest thing when I see businesses start growing. It's like you need to get a coach because you can have these great ideas, these big ideas. But if you just go for it, uh, if you don't take the proper steps, sometimes you just get tunnel vision, and then you're, you're you don't. have, I know you said like you don't focus on the the processes and all this other stuff, but sometimes you need that coach to kind of help you map that out. And when you if you have an, a great idea that involves people, you have to work with someone like you to kind of coach you through it.
1: Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and I don't want to discount the fact about processes or products or products, all that stuff, you know, all that stuff is super important. It's just that what I've learned through the learning and growing process is that if I actually reach out and find out what motivates you or what inspires you, what makes you tick, these different things, if I start hitting those buttons and give you what you want and show you that I care about you, you in return are going to start helping me by Mm -hmm. increasing the profits, increasing the production, whatever it is. Um, And then I'm getting what I want and you're getting what you want. I just can't go right at it and just flat out attack it because that's when people go into that fight or flight syndrome or you break down trust.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day too, I think there are some people who do have the ability to do the stuff they are coaching a little bit more naturally. So they may need someone that helps with the processes. It's just like they don't have that ability to create those systems. And it's like you have to find the right coach. Some people are good at that, but they need help, just like they have this negative talk track in their head. And they need someone with like the mindset coach. Law, so that's why there's so many different types of coaching. You have to find where your weakness is and then apply appropriately. You know, and what that's, do you think I, that's
1: how I always think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we talk about coaches, the so one thing I always kind of go back to is I'm a huge fan of, of athletics. And if you look at the head coach of any of the a football team or a manager for a baseball team, basketball team, track and field, whatever whatever the sport is, you pick it. You go find a coach. They all have, for the most part, they all have some common denominators. Number one of them is they understand the sport they're in. But number two, and probably more importantly, they weren't the best at that sport. You don't, see, you don't see the Hall of Fame football players becoming Hall of Fame football coaches. It just doesn't happen. You see the guy that was on the third string or maybe the <laughs> practice squad, they get up there. And I think what really that boils down to is because they were willing to learn and sit back and just go, hey, what works? What ticks? How does, how does this person do it? I don't think Tom Brady's ever going to be a head coach. No. He's too good. You know, Magic Johnson's not going to be a coach. I might be dating myself. When Kobe Bryant was alive, he probably wasn't going to be a coach. Michael Jordan is not going to be a coach. But if you look at the people that coached them, they all knew the sport, but they knew how to get the best out of the people. You go look at Phil Jackson and what he did with Michael Jordan. He brought the best out of Michael Jordan. Right. Yeah. Bill Jackson wasn't the best basketball player. Now he was good. He played in the NBA, but he wasn't the best. And I think the same thing is with leadership. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm probably not the best leader. Matter of fact, I know I'm not the best leader because I was a manager. I learned, I grew, I became better, um, but I understand what it takes and that's what I try to apply. And that's what I get passionate about in helping other people is I want to help other people be happy. I don't want to see them suffer like I did. Um, and, and for me that's part of the learning and growing process
0: yeah and then also just look at steve kurt yes you know played along with them and now look what he's been able to do it's insane
1: yeah no, uh-huh. there's there's a lot of those good guys you know I, I google a lot of them too and you look up some of these head head football coaches for um college basketball or college basketball coaches and you start look at them these are all guys that played college basketball probably at some small school and now here they are leading a division one program to you know to fame
0: yeah Lu, you know like I'm, I'm really into like basketball that's the one i follow the most generally and like a lot of people just were like who the heck is Lu? and it's like they don't realize he played with michael jackson when he michael jackson michael <laughs> jordan when he was on the on the wizards and yeah, coaching LeBron and the Lakers and all this crazy stuff. But um, what, during your journey, was there like a specific person that had a tremendous impact on you? Maybe it was like a mentor, maybe it was another coach.
1: Um, yeah, I did. And it was a gentleman that we had actually acquired his company. And, you know, here I am thinking I'm all hot stuff because i'm on the side that bought his company and i'll never forget the day he walked into my office and he sits down and he he introduces himself i'm like i know who you are we uh, i was on the due diligence side i never got to talk to you but i know who you are we just bought your company um and he basically sat there and he said he said uh, tell me what's going on what do you, you know what do you think and just a very open-ended question and he never said another word i spilled my whole guts I told him everything about what was going on because it was the awkward silence. He taught me the power of listening right on. And then what he also did is as we were going through and I was helping implement, um, he sold us a software program and it was his company. We basically bought all the rights to it and then we implemented it into our operations. So he was helping me. And as I'm going through and I'm implementing this stuff, he never told me I was wrong or I was aggressive but at the end of the day, you know, we'd go to a site and we'd be traveling together. He'd, we'd go out and grab a couple of beers or whatever. And he'd set me down and say, Hey, let's, let's role play what we did today. Um, and, and he'd walk me through it and get me. And he led me to where I needed to be, which mm-hmm. I thought was incredible to this day. I still talk to him. Um, he's a good friend of mine. So we do a lot of things together, but more than anything, I just, I look up to him for his wisdom and um, how he leads people. And he's, he's taught me a ton.
0: No, oh, I love
1: that. But he did it through and, action. He did it through action. Yeah. He never told me. He just he's like, let's you know. So it was pretty cool.
0: No, and I'm sure during that bio process too, like you said, sometimes it's hard to be that humble, <laughs> that humbleness sometimes, and then we give more away, and it's just. It's
1: yeah, you know, it's thing. it's um it's a testament to his character that he stayed on and helped us because he was passionate about his product and he was you know, and what it was going to do. But what he did is he wouldn't, he never pushed his product. What he did is he pushed the benefits of how it was going to help us grow as an organization and working with people. I mean, he could have came in and flat out said, Hey, look, this is going to, we bought it because it was going to improve our processes. It was going to cut down on our, you know, our waste yeah, yeah. and do all these other things <laughs> to make our productivity go up. But he never, that's not what he ever sold to us. And it, it was really cool looking at, at the time I'm going through. And I kind of thought he was like, wow, this guy's different you know i didn't know how to word it and now looking back on it i'm like this guy was wise beyond his years wise beyond his time
0: and then i guess in that situation so if someone in your experience when they were buying that when you guys were buying that that other uh, company or if you're helping those companies grow like those small mom and pop shops they're eventually i'm assuming going to grow they're going to get to a point where maybe they graduate from your program. I don't know if that happens, you know, but they graduate from working with you. And there, do you help people employ new employees like that? I'm sure that happens while they're with you,
1: right? Yeah, um, we can build some of that stuff into the process as we're working. So here we go, I'm on my obscurity side, you know, the processes, but what we teach people about how to be self-awareness and the different things that work, we can take those same things that we do that I work with individuals to help them become leaders is take and then back up that process and put it into the hiring process. And so when we start looking for who we're going to bring onto the team, are they going to be a good fit? Um, There's a lot of things you can teach people, but there's a handful of things that you can't, you know, attitude is probably one of the Mm -hmm. things you can't teach attitude. You can't coach attitude. Um, Mm -hmm. That's something that's got to come from within. Um, but you can teach people how to do the production. You can teach people how to be, I mean, people are going to hate me for this, but you can teach people how to be an accountant. I mean, how do you think accountants got there? They didn't wake up one day in kindergarten and go, I'm an accountant. (laughs) You know, they went through training. They were skilled. They have that stuff. Right. And I think that's part of what's wrong with, um, management right now is everybody's, you know, we need a specialty person. We need, you know, we need a JavaScript writer. We need an accountant. We need a marketing guru. Now we need people that can think. We need people that can solve problems. You're going to need creativity. The future is creativity because AI and a lot of these other things are coming along are going to replace a lot of the processes we're doing. So you're mm-hmm. going to need people that are going to be able to to be creative and think critically.
0: So once those you're training those people, they're new. How do you ensure, like, as that organization starts growing, that everything is aligned with like their that? The core values that they have said, or that mission, hopefully, it's something that they actually care about. But as that starts growing, how do you make sure that that mission actually stays true or those core core values? Like, how do you, yeah, how do you help that, them understand that? That's the
1: million dollar question. Um, <laughs> and, usually, and here's and here's what I'm just gonna say it. Um, I guess the stickiness of it is when the contract ends or I walk away. It's usually when they start to go downhill. Um, And it goes back to the coaching aspect, right? Um, If you're working out and you have a personal trainer, you're probably going to perform better because you've got somebody there pushing you and and highlighting the different things, the opportunities you need to capitalize, finding what you're good at and making you better at those things. And like when I walk away, I had one organization I was working with and we knocked out over 20% of their labor without ever touching a process. And we knocked it out by giving them the tools of the people skills tools. After 90 days, they're like, I got this, we're good. I walked away. They went right back to where, where they were when I showed up. They mm-hmm. fell back into their habits. We were, I wasn't there long enough and I couldn't convince them to keep me long enough to keep motivating and keep showing them. They saw me as an expense. Um, where I saw myself as, hey, I'm a value add that's going to keep you growing and continuing to improve with your people skills. Uh, so it's, it's just one of those things you got to keep, you got to have a desire from within. And it's almost like um, I'm going to compare it to raising a family. So if you're a parent out there and you're raising your kids, you're not raising your kids to be good kids. You're yeah. raising your kids to be good adults in society. So the same thing goes when I'm working with leadership. I'm, I'm taking these managers and I'm trying to make them and help them grow to become leaders so that when I walk away, they're leaders themselves and they're doing what I'm doing and that's coaching and mentoring other people because you got to keep that leadership pipeline full.
0: Yeah. No, at the end of the day, it's like, if you can raise someone, it uh, would be someone that you would want to hang out with. You know, yeah. that's
1: kind of what yeah. I think. Of, like so, some- you know, I mean, we can compare this to a lot of things. It's almost like you know, <laughs> like going to your your annual physical for you with your doctor, right? You go back every year to make sure you're in good health. Same thing is with leadership coaching. You know what? Every once in a while, you got to check in with somebody. I don't know who that hmm. person is. It could be me. It could be any other coach. Just check in with them and find out. Say, hey, here's what's working. Here's what's not working. What do I need to do next? Because um, there's always room for that growth and opportunity. And I always say you're not going to learn everything from one person because then you're becoming a copycat. You need to go out and you need to find multiple sources of information, take all that back and then process it and figure out what works for you and then make it your own and go out and use that. And for me, that's kind of like, that's kind of how I describe authenticity. Because if I read a book, um, you can pick any leadership coach, let's just say John Maxwell or Simon yeah, and yes. I go And if I go read their book and try to do exactly what they're doing, I'm not being me, I'm being them. And you're going to see that as soon as I start doing it. So what I always say is I try to read three books a month and from all different authors and listen to these different podcasts. And you know what? I might get one tiny piece out of a podcast or maybe a chapter out of a book, Mm -hmm. but it's like, wait a second, I'm writing that down. That resonates with me. I'm gonna put that down. I go write down my summary. And the next thing you know, I'm starting to use it. I'll guarantee you everything I'm coaching on came from somebody else. There is so much data and information in the world that nobody's really ever gonna create anything new. It exists somewhere in the universe. Um, It's just all gotta come back. And then if you know that you got that information from another person, just give them credit. Um, Hey, I learned this from my good friend, Andrew. So the first time, give him credit. I learned this from Andrew. The second time you can say, I learned this from my good friend. And then the third time you say, you know, as I always say, (laughs) and then it becomes yours by the third time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then, but the thing is, it's like, nothing is always completely new, but the idea, you can find a new way to explain it. I loved how you were explaining trust. Who knows that maybe you got that from a good friend. On <laughs> um, well, so
1: I'll be honest with you. I I do have um I do have a three step process for building trust, and what I and I built it using a ton of resources and information that I pulled from a lot of different things, and then I basically took it back and tweaked it. And I like to put things. Um, I'm big on the neuroscience and people like things and odd numbers i mean i could have come up with four steps to build trust but nobody remembers four or two steps or six but they remember odd numbers odd numbers stick in people's head hey i got three tips for you today i got five tips for you hey here's yeah. seven things you can do people remember odd
0: numbers 10 and might be the only one that that sticks but just because it's 10 you know.
1: Yeah, you'll see a top 10 list, you know. I always remember David Letterman and his top 10 things (laughs) on a show back in the day. So I'm dating myself now. People are like, who's David Letterman? (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's gonna be, that's that next generation. But that's odd. I never realized that. They can YouTube it. Three, five, seven.
1: Yeah, so I always try to stay with three and five. Seven is like a lot because people can memorize three things. People can memorize five things or at least remember. Um, You know what? And at the end of the day, if they only take away one of those um that's all that matters yeah that's all that matters
0: i'm guessing i can maybe answer this question but like what do you think is the most important decision decision a leader can make within an organization when it's growing i'm guessing you'll, you'll probably say either just the decision to listen or the decision to build trust at this point we might as well call this the like a trust podcast which is a good yeah. thing it's one of those yeah. things where everyone talks about it but i think sometimes it just it's always surface level so i'm going to throw you off a
1: little bit so yeah, good. so all these things are just part of we'll go back to it the process for leadership yeah. trust yeah. is part of the process but there's another piece we haven't talked about and that's values what is important to you that you have intrinsically that helps you create your vision. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And once you understand your values, now it starts making your decision-making process a lot easier. So when somebody asks you something, it's very simple. Does this align with my values? If the answer is yes, then we do it. If the answer is no, then we start to ask more questions of somebody not to like berate them, but say, okay, well, tell me more. Okay. That doesn't, that's not resonating with me and my values. Mm. Let me understand where you're seeing from tell me some more and then go through the process to determine if it's something that needs to be considered or if it's, you know what, that's just a complete waste of time. It doesn't fit our value proposition. We need to move on. But that comes from building trust. Mm. If you don't have trust, you're never going to have that conversation. If you're not willing to listen, you can't have that conversation. So a lot of these pieces are all, they're so intrinsically tied together. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people think that leadership is easy. I'm going to challenge you and say right now, leadership is difficult and you've got to work at it every single day. Um, and you're going to make mistakes. Just like watching your favorite team on TV. It's like, why did you throw that pass there? Why did you do that move? Why did you do this there? It's like, and you can see it from TV because you're a spectator, right? It's easy to criticize them, but you are in the moment and you're trying to do your best. You make mistakes, own the mistake, apologize to your teammates, and say, Hey, look, next time I'm gonna do better, will you help me? I guarantee you they will.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where even if you're talking with clients, and I think this is where you can build trust too. It's, I, I don't know who said it, but it's uh, okay, good, better, best. And it's like the okay version is say something goes wrong, you're just gonna be like, Hey, something went wrong, you know, just being honest. the The best version of it is okay. Okay, this went wrong. This is what we did to fix it. This is what we're going to do to move forward. This is what we're going to do to make up for it. Like, that's the best idea. And there's variations of it adding on. Same thing with a teammate. Like, if you do something, you want to say, Hey, I screwed up. I'm going to do this. And this is what I plan on doing moving forward, whether that's a teammate, partner, you know, life partner, whatever you want anything in relationship based.
1: And then I think right there, the next piece that ties into that is compassion and empathy. Um, if a teammate makes a mistake, you show them some compassion, and then you empathize with them, and make sure, you know, make sure you don't sympathize with them because there's a big difference between feeling sorry for somebody and then empathizing with somebody. Um, and I think can that you empathy, dig into that a little bit. Can I dig into that? Yeah, yeah. Well, with like empathy, clarifying, yeah. Clarifying. So. Um, So sympathy is just telling somebody that you're sorry that something happened and then Mm -hmm. basically not having any emotion and just moving on. Just like, all right, all right, I'm sorry that happened. You need to pick yourself up. Let's get going. Empathy is saying, um, you know, you might say, I'm sorry, but you say, wow, you know, that must be really difficult. Um, That's a tough situation. Can you tell me more about that? And then you start listening from that place of where you want to understand, which pulls in critical thinking. So Empathizers have critical thinking skills. They can imagine themselves being in that situation and trying to understand it as if they are walking in their shoes. You're Mm -hmm. never going to be able to walk in another person's shoes. It's just impossible. But you can walk right next to them and imagine what it's like and then kind of get into their headspace with them and say, wow, okay, now I'm starting to understand it. If you're sympathizing, you basically say, yeah, that happened to me once too. And then you just discredit everything and move on. So one of them has... So one of them gives, you know, good vibes, good feelings. The other one is like, makes you feel terrible. And at the end of the day, people are not going to remember what you said to them, but people will remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. We're emotional creatures. Human beings are emotional creatures. We live on emotions, all the logic in the world. You can throw logic out. And I think that's sometimes where managers (laughs) and that's another way with differentiate managers and leaders is, you know. Um, managers are going to be full of logic leaders are going to be full of you know the the feelings and how do we get to where we need to go by helping you and make you feel good about what we're doing
0: yeah without actually not that they're not doing anything but it's it's that's why sometimes i think like the really good leaders some people are like man he doesn't do anything and it's because he's just he's moving stuff like he. He's connecting with people, and he builds that. But I've had great yeah. leaders where sometimes people, they don't understand what's, yeah.
1: what's happening. So, so let's go back to the Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan thing. Uh-huh. Phil Jackson was not on the court doing anything to win championships. Mm-hmm. He was the brains and the emotions behind it that got those guys inspired so that Michael Jordan and the rest of the Chicago Bulls could go out there and do their deal. So- well, no.
0: Also, just dealing with Michael Jordan, because I'm a Michael Jordan hater sometimes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a LeBron team.
1: Yeah. But, you know, and, and so that's the same thing with leadership. Like the CEO of the company um, doesn't have to be the best. Let's say you're a software company. The CEO should not be the most technical person and know how to write software or code the best on the team. That's up to the chief technology officer and that person's team the CEO there to coach and to bring everybody together to show them the vision, to inspire them, to motivate them and to help them through obstacles and decision-making. And so that's, that's kind of where you look at a head coach versus, you know, a leader of a team. You might just be, let's say you're a manager of, you know, of of a team somewhere, whether you're in construction or production or in the office, Um, you're in a tough position because you're doing a couple of things. One, you're leading people and two, you're taking orders from everybody above you. So I guess, lack of a better thing. That's what I call middle management. And that's one of the toughest positions to be in. And that's where you have to learn
0: how to play both sides of the coin. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the real tough one. That is, I don't envy it. I don't envy that.
1: But, you know, and middle managers are the glue that holds the organization together. If you don't have middle managers, um, I mean, if you're a leader of a, of an organization, you need to go to your middle managers and, give them a big high five or a hug or a fist bump or whatever it is you do to show them that you care about them because they're the ones that are leading those front lines. And then yes. if you're that, if you're that middle manager, go to your front lines and say, Hey, we're kicking butt. We're taking names. We're doing great. What else can I do to help you? You know, and you, and you just build, and that's kind of how you build up that momentum.
0: Mm. Yeah. You have, I, that is a hundred percent. I'm thinking back to when I was in college, I worked at a grocery store, just like stocking shelves, you know, And then uh, when I came back to the US after I was abroad, so I was probably like 27, I never thought I'd, when COVID first came, I never thought I'd be in a grocery store again, but I needed something in the meantime. And there were some great managers in different departments that I had, like, I loved working with. I never went in that day thinking, man, like, what the heck am I doing with my life right now? And there are other days where I was like, man, I I was dragging my feet. I do not want to go in. Like it can make or break an entire, even something as silly, not silly, even something as basic or as routine as just, you know, working at a grocery store. Those middle people are what make it.
1: Yeah. Uh, My son just started a job working at a grocery store. He's in his late teens. So it's his first job. And I ask him questions, so I pick him up and drop him off from work. And I, I was asking him questions, say, so, you know, how's work today? And he's, he gave me a story the other day and um, he was saying, he was talking about his boss, his supervisor. And I said, so tell me about him. I said, what is he teaching you? And he said, well, you know, he's he's teaching me how to do the processes, but he always tells me, he goes, if you find a better way to do this or there's an easier way for you, do it. I was like, wow. And I said, how does he feel about, I mean, Like what happens if you're late? Oh, he's talked to me about being late. I said, Oh yeah. So tell me about that. And my son said, you know, he told me, he goes, if you're five minutes late, be five minutes late. If you need an extra 10 minutes at lunch, take 10 minutes lunch. He goes, every human being's different. And we're not always all going to be on time. And we're not always going to follow the clock. He goes, I just need to be aware. If you're going to be late, just be kind enough to let me know. And I was like, dang, this, I don't, I haven't ever met his boss. I want to go meet his boss because his boss is not a boss. He's not a manager. He's a leader. And he's looking at all these things. And they even went into a deeper conversation. And he said, hey, you know, um, I'm working really hard. I want to work my way up. I might be at a different grocery store someday within this chain. I might move on. He goes, he asked my son, he said, what are you going to do if somebody comes in and says that you have to, you know, this is exactly how we do the process. And My son kind of sat back and said, I'd quit. I was like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, I don't think I could work for somebody like that. I go, well, I think, right. I said, I'm going to tell you right now. I think you got a great manager, great leader because he's, he's teaching you what you need to know, but he's also giving you the freedom to do your job as best you possibly can. And if you have ideas, he sounds like he's open to those ideas. I mean, we need to take up what this manager has in this department and bottle it up and resell it because he's
0: got it. I mean, it's one of those things where they say people quit their jobs because of managers, not not the job themselves.
1: Exactly. They do. You know? yep.
0: And the guy that I worked with, he allowed us to, like we, at the grocery store, it was a large corporate one. So it was a little bit more strict when it came to like clocking in and whatever. But when we were on the floor, he was like, if you get along with Brandon and you want to you know, stock the shelves and you guys are a little bit far away so you can like work and then also joke around or whatever. Like like go ahead. Like if that's what makes it a little bit more enjoyable and that's what passed the time well it he was funny too. But
1: but you know and that piece right so your story and the story I told has one thing in common. And it's the leader, the manager is building trust with the employees by yeah. allowing them the freedom to do what they need. Uh uh the book um Jacko Willink um freedom equal, uh, discipline equals freedom. It's like, wow. You know, he, him and Leif Babin wrote the whole book together, um, extreme ownership, which is a great book. It was one of the first books I picked up when I started working on my leadership stuff. Um, and I read it and I was like, I was like going through it almost religiously. Like that's my recipe. I'm like, wait a second, there's gotta be more ways because I, and that's kind of where I came up with my learning and growing because I was following a lot of things they were doing. I go, wait a second, that didn't exactly work. Well, yeah, because I was being inauthentic. I was doing what they said to do and I wasn't taking it and owning it and making it to mind. Now, do I have pieces of what they said from that book in my leadership style? Absolutely.
0: And I guess one last, one of the, maybe the last question because we're almost running out of time here is, Say you were one of those two managers, the one I worked with, or the one your son worked with. And then you have that conversation with someone that maybe isn't getting their job, right? Like they're not, you don't have that full trust. How do you deal with that? Because that becomes a, it's a tricky situation on if you start taking away that freedom, then they have less trust in you. And then it just starts deteriorating. But then it's like, do you fire the person? But you you know, and that's, I kind of threw you on the bus, but is there any sort of <laughs> advice you would give in that situation? Because I'm assuming it happens at times.
1: Yeah, it, it does happen quite a bit. And so this comes down to probably a difference in motivators or what's motivating people. Mm-hmm. That's when you got to start having a conversation. Uh, it also comes into the change. I'm going to use the word management, I not like it, but change management process. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever you're doing, you're always going to have there's like 10 to 20% of the people that you're working with that are automatically just going to jump in and say, yep, you're the greatest ever. And I love what you're doing. You got to take those people and yourself, and then you need to go sell to the remaining group of people. You're going to get buy-in as you go through that, but there's always going to be probably the opposite end of that bell curve. Another 10 to 20% are just gonna be like, look, I'm not buying into your vision. What motivates you, your purpose, all those things just don't align with me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm never going to change. Now, the conversation is not going to be that easy and it's not going to be that visual, but you're going to have these conversations, like you just said, where it's difficult. And that's when you have to look at them and say, you know what? You're a great person. You're a great human being. You've got a lot of potential, but I just don't see where this is working out with us. And that's when you got to make that difficult decision to exit them out of the organization and then go find somebody we talked about earlier through that hiring process that's going to come in that's going to fit your organization. Now, Just the way numbers work, there's always somebody, some point in time, that's going to defect out of your group. That's all part of change management. Um, You got to remember that, you know, if you don't have change, you don't need leadership. And to, to get change to come along is people have to forget what they know and learn what is new. So when you're mm-hmm. working with somebody that's just not following along, you're trying to get them to change and forget what they already know and learn something new. Some people just aren't for it. Some people just aren't going to buy in unless they make that decision on their own. I love that. And you well, got to build a
0: bridge. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. And I, I loved how you talked about the trust and the bank and like that metaphor. And I, I'm probably going to use that in a post one of these days coming up and probably that you can't listen if you're not silent time either. But thank you so much for your time today. If anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way they can do that? easiest
1: way to find us is on the World Wide Web at <laughs> www.dignity-leadership.com. And then on that web, we got a contact us, form, we got all of our social media. You can book a free meeting. Um, we'll sit down and listen to you and, and do our best to help you become a better version of yourself.
0: Well, thank you, Rich, so much. It was awesome speaking with you. And uh, hopefully we can meet up again in the future.
1: I appreciate your time today. Thank
0: you, Andy. Thank you, you, Rich. Bye-bye.